You ever have that feeling where you're not sure if you're awake or still dreaming? Well, dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. The idea that has always fascinated me about dreams is everything within that dream is created by your own mind as you experience it. You remember the chance to build cathedrals, entire cities, things that never existed, things that couldn't exist in the real world. Have you ever had a dream, Neil, that you were so sure was real? Once you were able to wake from that dream, how would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? Hello and welcome back to the Lucid Dreaming Podcast. This is episode 28 and it's been a long time. I've missed you too. I know, I know, but here we are. And I actually have two episodes in a row coming for you. I've recorded two interviews. And the first one is uh, very timely, and you'll we'll get to it in a second in uh, today's episode. And the other one is with Jane Gackenbach, who, if you've been reading, you know, and, and searching for lucid dreaming online, sooner or later you've probably encountered that name. She is a researcher who's been doing uh, research and writing books about lucid dreaming, and more recently uh, about video games and connection of video games to dreams and to lucid dreams. Uh, and it's uh, she's a very interesting person uh, who's been at it for a while, and that's uh, coming up in the next episode. It's a short interview, but it's uh, it's really interesting. And before we get to today's episode, um, I want to just give some brief sort of updates of what's been going on, or at least what I paid attention to recently in uh, in the world of lucid dreaming. And it obviously fits the. Uh, the interview of today, which is with Craig Weiss, who is the founder of CEO of a company who's building a lucid dreaming device called Aladdin. And uh, obviously what, what's been going on recently is what's prompted this interview, but um, you'll, you'll see what I mean in a second. And what's been going on is that it seems like it's been raining Kickstarter campaigns recently. It started with a Kickstarter campaign for a device called iBand, which seems uh, damn near identical to the iWinks Aurora. Uh, a little disturbingly so, if you ask me personally. Uh, but they claim to have some, some major differences, especially they're touting uh, sleep improvements, functionality of sorts, and they have all sorts of random little extras here and there. But there's a lot that, to me at least, doesn't smell right about this campaign. It's already finished on uh, on Kickstarter. They raised a lot of money. They raised over $600,000 on Kickstarter in nearly the same amount, if not more, on Indiegogo. In fact, they ran two campaigns at the same time, which smells even fishier than just the single campaign itself, which I only found out after the Kickstarter was done. So they're sort of double-dipping, which I guess is not you know, against some rules. Maybe it is against... Uh, rules of either Kickstarter or Indiegogo, I'm not really sure. But the thing that bothered me the most about the campaign and uh, is that it doesn't seem like people who are passionate or even know all that much about lucid dreaming, a lot of sort of um, these canned kind of you know, big words that people use and way to describe dreams and lucid dreams and this, that, or the other thing, the usual jargon uh, that doesn't come with uh, experience, in my, in my view. The whole thing seems... Uh, one, one, one thing they do seem really good at is marketing. Uh, they've marketed the hell out of this, and they've got on every, you know, promotion outlet and used all sorts of systems and this, that, or the other thing. Uh, and and got their names everywhere, which is uh, you know good for them, but uh, I don't know. I just uh, don't feel great about this campaign. And just so you see that I'm not harping on you know any any company that's trying to build a uh, a device, or even because it's it's so similar to to iWings, uh, you'll see in a moment that I do talk about some other ones. So let's let's move on to. A device on Kickstarter called the Lucid Dreamer, uh, 
Uh, we'll, we're going to talk about this in the interview as well. But the thing that's interesting about this is that this was the first device, at least to uh, to be put out to the public to fund, that you, that relies on the mechanism from the famous Voss study, that is basically a a brain stimulation device for lucid dreaming, and this one is uh, seemed legit to me in many many ways, and there's some things that bothered me about the campaign, and I'm going to touch on those because I think it's important. But overall, these are people from the Netherlands who, for their jobs before, you know, getting into lucid dreaming devices, were dealing with um, their uh, neurofeedback people. So they've been dealing with EEG and as well as uh, brain stimulation devices that are sometimes used for EEG and clinical treatments and such. So they have some background in this, and that was encouraging. Um, and so I thought, okay, that's a good sign. The design seemed all right. Um, it uses, it's not like a complete headband around the head, but rather a sort of uh, device where you stick it to your forehead and pull electrodes out of that and stick those in the right locations. And all of that seemed great, except that the two things that bothered me very much, and maybe there was a reason for this, I don't know, maybe it's sort of lost in translation uh, from the Netherlands, but the minimum device was going to cost 500 euros, which uh, seems like a lot to me. And then they had two other tiers, each at an extra 200 euros from the tier below it, and each one was basically just more functionality in the app. So the app had locked functionalities that you can unlock in a sense by paying 200 euros extra or 400 euros extra. And in fact, the upper tier, which is basically all in all 900 euros, which is crazy, um, was dream sharing experiment applications. And now, in their defense, I would say that they, they weren't promoting, you know, this, you know, supernatural, possible dream telepathy kind of functionality uh, as something that they know exists and here now you could do it and blah, blah, blah. They were presenting the little more acceptable skeptic like hey we don't know but this will allow you to test an experiment which you know is okay in theory uh, like I'm, I'm fine with that but um, and only to a certain degree but to pay 900 euros or 400 euros extra almost double the, the original price of the device for something that is basically extremely unscientific at this point um, that I'm not okay with and so that that kind of gave me a bad taste about this device and again if you know me you know that part of my issue is people giving a bad name or muddying the water uh, and, and there's enough you know stuff in lucid dreaming that is you know giving it a bad name or, or, or turning people away because of this kind of stuff either whether it's new age or other other stuff or just by bad science uh, that I didn't like it. I did invite them to come on the podcast, but by the time I was traveling, by the time I came back, this has happened, is that they made an update to the Kickstarter campaign saying that even though their original testing was showing promise and, and, and was uh, succeeding well, their uh, additional testing were was not as successful. And suddenly they think, oh, maybe they should add the mechanism of light and sound and cues to the device, which is just was very strange. This is not the purpose of this kind of technology. And I don't know that together that they would work better, perhaps, in theory, but I'm not sure. Um, and then shortly after that, they put an update that they're canceling the campaign. And this is after they've already raised their goal of $100,000, uh, euro, rather. And they said, look, we've done more tests and this doesn't work to our standards. This is, does, doesn't work as well as we had hoped or thought that it would. And so basically, in so many words, they said that they don't feel comfortable taking people's money uh, when they don't, don't see that their device works as well as they have intended. And that takes a lot of honesty and a lot of integrity. And I applaud them for this. I've, they've gained some new respect uh, in my book for doing that because it would be so easy to just like continue taking money and you've already funded and just wait for the campaign to be over and then try to figure it out later and instead they said no we're gonna go back to the drawing board and we'll come back to you when we have something 
uh, of value and kudos like uh, seriously like props for for this move it's not an easy move to do at the point that they were and I applaud them for it and so what brings us to today's interview is interestingly enough a day before they canceled their campaign but after they've already said that their testings were not doing so well a new Kickstarter campaign uh, for a device called Aladdin showed up on Kickstarter and this one was uh, slightly different and is interesting in a couple of ways and when I first looked at it I was a little suspicious it was a little sparse on details and um, the design looked a little different in some ways and there wasn't a lot of data as far as I'm concerned like I love the geeky details like prove to me that this works convince me uh, tell me show me your testing show me your data and so on uh, but the team looked very interesting like the uh, um, Craig brought together it seems like a, a, a high-end team of uh, neuroscientists and a neurosurgeon and, and, and a person as, as you'll hear in the interview from uh, from Zio so uh, uh, Zio the um, the sleep tracking uh, device I mentioned this uh, this one a couple of times on the podcast so that was intriguing and um, you know through the comments in Kickstarter I uh, asked a few questions and found out that they've actually done a clinical study basically trying to replicate the Voss study and the number one complaint I hear from people especially after uh, the lucid dreamer uh, got canceled people are like here's validation this this uh, mechanism of brain stimulation doesn't work and it's all bullshit and nobody has replicated the Voss study well here we have a clinical study that to one degree or another has successfully replicated um, inducing lucidity in test subjects in a lab in a hospital and that is very interesting that I think is the first sense the Voss study of somebody uh, showing success in a laboratory settings and that I think is if that doesn't change people's minds until the time that we have a consumer version that works well then I don't know what will and that's when I got interested and that's when um, me and Craig connected and and bring him on the podcast to do this interview so this is like a a good hour when really get into a lot of details and I think you'll find it interesting and I think that by the end of it I uh, got far more excited about this project than I did when I just glanced at it first so um, you can take a look and without further ado I give you Craig Weiss so today I have with me uh, Craig Weiss uh, of Aladdin um, Dreamer um, and Craig thank you for coming on the podcast uh, Jay thank you for having me I appreciate it no problem and uh, you um, I'm curious a little bit uh, about your background and uh, we're, we're gonna get into your the device that you're uh, building and the Kickstarter campaign that you're running obviously uh, some very interesting stuff and uh, but I'm curious how you got into uh, lucid dreaming in, in particular because I know that in in the past I've been reading a little bit about you uh, and saw that you were working with vastly different uh, kind of industries sure so I'm curious yeah well so I mean I, I I started having lucid dreams you know probably a few decades ago, uh, maybe, you know, when I, I'm, I'm 43 now. So probably when I was, uh, maybe a teenager, I had recall having my first, uh, lucid dream and, and obviously was super, uh, intrigued by the experience as, as, you know, as anybody who's had one, you know, I think is. And, um, I was originally a patent attorney by training. Uh, and so, uh, I, I should actually take, I should actually go back a step since, since it's probably relevant to lucid dreaming. So I was a philosophy major in college. Cool. Uh, and, um, and, and so to become a patent attorney, you have to have a bachelor's of science degree, uh, and, and, and a philosophy degree is about the furthest thing away from a bachelor's of science <laughs> degree. So, uh, I had to go back to school after law school. Um, and, and, and so the, uh, the way to qualify to take the patent bar, uh, if you did not have a bachelor's of science degree was you had to have what they considered to be the equivalent of a bachelor's of science degree. Uh, so I studied biology and chemistry and, um, and that was really interesting. And it sort of was my first real introduction into the hard sciences 
and you know anatomy and physiology and uh, so so it was it was interesting it was certainly gave me a, a little bit of a foundation um, and then um, I practiced patent law for more than ten years so you know helping to obtain uh, you know patents for entrepreneurs and you know inventors um, and I met some really interesting people. And I ended up sort of really specializing because of my biology and chemistry background in a lot of medical device uh, patents. So I, I met lots of interesting doctors um, and uh, you know sort of innovative doctors who were coming up with with different types of medical devices for which um, I was able to help uh, get patent get get them patents for their ideas. Mm-hmm. And um, so. Uh, and, and it's funny, I had uh, connected with Dan Lieberman, who's one of the members of my team on Aladdin, uh, during this uh, during the time that I was a patent attorney. So I, I, I was able to obtain several patents for uh, different inventions for uh, things that he'd come up with for uh, uh, brain and spinal surgery. And, and so... Uh, well, what was really interesting was the, uh, the the patent firm that I was part of had been founded by my father about 40 years ago, and uh, the four oldest sons all became IP attorneys, um, <laughs> and all ended up working in the family firm. And so because it was our firm, you know, we considered ourselves kind of entrepreneurial. Uh, and so one of my brothers uh, went to China in, in 2005. Uh, and saw kind of a crude version of an electronic cigar, and thought that would make for a really interesting uh, product, especially if you know somehow it could ever uh, be be innovated down to the size of a cigarette. And so I was, it was sort of a venture of our law firms uh, that he you know founded the company uh, that was called Enjoy, and mm-hmm. um, and so I I started to get more involved in 2009, and then in 2010 I. Uh, actually became president of Enjoy, and in 2011, I I stopped practicing law and I uh, became the CEO at Enjoy, and it was sort of a wild ride. I was never myself a smoker, but I got really, really interested and almost obsessed with this idea that you have about 1.3 billion smokers on the planet today. Uh, the World Health Organization said a billion people were going to die this century from smoking. And uh, the more I looked into it, I realized that you know, nicotine wasn't carcinogenic. What was killing smokers was was not the nicotine, it was the delivery system. And so the idea that that you could deliver uh, nicotine to smokers in a way that was familiar to them uh, with their cigarettes, but in a non-carcinogenic way, you know, my my view was that this was, you know, this was you know, that we, we, we could have a company that could save more lives than Pfizer. And so, um, I was really excited about that. And, and I took a real scientific approach. You know, I had a lot of competitors who were, um, just sort of in it to make a quick buck. And I was very focused on the science. So my chief scientist had an MD PhD from Stanford and was a full tenured professor of biochemistry at Princeton. I recruited the 17th Surgeon General of the United States um, to serve on our board of directors. Uh, we did clinical studies. We published a clinical study. Uh, one of the one of the studies that we did, we published in the American Journal of Health Behavior, um, and we just really took a, a very scientific approach to well, how do we, in the most effective way possible, um, uh, you know match the pharmacokinetic delivery of nicotine that's that you see in a combustion cigarette how do we do that in um, in our product and so I I did that for uh, basically uh, four years uh, I left enjoy as a CEO uh, in 2014 and um, and and you know in 2014 happened to be when I had this particularly powerful dream uh, with my dad. It was a lucid dream. So I, I I'm with my father who passed away in 2008, and I realized that I'm dreaming and he's right in front of me. And uh, and and I I had this you know really amazing experience. You know I was able to to give him a hug, and I I woke up with a feeling that you know the the, the feeling I had when I woke up was one that I never thought I would experience. It was basically the emotion of, I got to see my dad again. And, um, and it was just really, really like I, it was a very 
kind of serene or comforting feeling like 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 the feeling of it was so great to see him again and it lasted for days and really stayed with me and um, and so uh, right around this time was when um, this article was published in Nature uh, by this team of six uh, neuroscientists led by uh, Dr. Ursula Voss and and she you know wrote about this um, uh, this idea of using sort of a low current electrical stimulation during REM to stimulate lucid dreams. And, you know, what was fascinating to me was the, the conclusion that, that, that her and the other um, five neuroscientists came to at the end of their paper was, well, this could be an effective treatment for, uh, you know, PTSD, yep. you know, people with chronic nightmares. Mm-hmm. And, and as an entrepreneur, you know, my reaction was, well, of course that's true, but of course there's many more broader applications than just that narrow focus. And, you know, who in the world wouldn't want these experiences on a regular basis? And, you know, sort of, sort of the analogy that I often think about is, is the DVR. You know, I say, I say basically, look, before TiVo, no one was walking around saying, gosh, I wish I could digitally time shift my media content. But, you know, (laughs) once you had it, you could never go back to the VCR. And, you know, similarly, most people, especially those who don't have lucid dreams or certainly who haven't don't have them regularly, they're not walking around saying, God, I wish I could maximize the, you know, productive or entertainment value of my unconscious state. But, (laughs) but, but once you give that to people, um, no one's going to go back to being, you know, chased by a lion or, you know, being unprepared for the test back in high school. I mean, no one wants yeah. those experiences. And, and if you can give them control and awareness, um, you know, to me, I, you know, in the early days when I started working on this, I would talk to people about it. And I talked to a, um, a guy who used to be one of the partners at uh, Sequoia Capital and you know one of the top VC funds in the world, and I had met him uh, during sort of the heyday, uh, you know, with Enjoy and, and Enjoy was an amazing experience for me. I, I learned a ton. Uh, I've, of course, I I made mistakes and I've you know hope, hopefully I've learned from those too. Um, but but there were some really neat things. I mean we. We were very innovative. We would in a, be in a conference room and draw on the whiteboard um, designs for products that in six months we would have on 50,000 shelves um, in the United States. And so we got really, really good at design, prototyping, uh, manufacturing. And uh, we ended up in my tenure, I think we manufactured 80 million uh, units of our products um, and, wow. dis- and distributed them. I think into about 130,000 doors all over the world. And so, um, so it was an incredible sort of, you know, learning experience. And, you know, I scaled up to 130 employees. We had, you know, we had employees in half a dozen countries and offices in three different continents. I mean, it was, it was really, um, an amazing experience. And, And we advertised our products, you know, all over the world on billboards, on, you know, TV commercials, radio, it was really great. So yeah. I have an, you know I have those experiences under my belt, which you know gives me a confidence with this venture that um, you know that, that maybe a lot of people don't have. You know, having you know having built one previous company at scale that involved you know manufacturing and and I guess I would say with Enjoy, I actually think that was a lot more complicated than what I'm doing with Aladdin because that involved integrated circuits, power source, heating elements, vaporization, advanced biochemistry. And, Lots of things had to happen in a very small form factor, you know. So, um, so basically, uh, you know, for me, um, as I started to, you know, I, as I, men- I mentioned, I, I, I talked to this uh, former uh, partner at, at Sequoia, and I said, you know, hey, if I could deliver um, a, a consumer product, a comfortable wearable that you'd put on your head when you go to sleep at night. And that would give people the ability for, you know, up to two hours a night to, to live out their dreams and fantasies and, you know, be able to do whatever they want without any consequences. You know, what do you think the average person would pay for that? And he said uh, about 20% of their annual net income. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I, I think I'm on to something here. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think clearly um, people would value this. 
and so, and of course, it doesn't cost that much, right? So, right. Um, so, um, so in any event, uh, I started down this path, and I, you know, I did a lot of what I did at Enjoy. I reached out to, you know, really, really smart people, um, doctors, yeah. you know, neuroscientists, brain surgeons, um, and to 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 you know get their help on on you know, and, and what I realized when I did my research was that. There's lots of companies out there, but they mostly fall into kind of a few different buckets. So you've got the people that are using, you know, visual and audible cues, the flashing mm-hmm. lights and the audible cues. And that technology has been around for maybe 30 years or so. Um, and it's, you know, I don't want to say it's largely ineffective, but it's sort of like the proof is in the pudding. If it really worked, then everyone would be using those. Um and I mean, they'd be a mainstream product. And so you have also the pharmacological angle, you know, approach. Yep. Yep. And so you've got companies that are sort of pursuing that. Um, not many people, you know, just because it happened so recently with the, the Voss paper in 2014 have, have taken yeah. the electrical stimulation route. A couple have, but, but across sort of all of those companies, I wasn't, able to see anybody taking a really serious scientific approach and right um you know it's uh it was all just kind of brain hackers or entrepreneurs or other people and hey i'm an entrepreneur i'm not trying to to to, to bag on entrepreneurs <laughs> but but they weren't people that i think you know were taking a really serious scientific approach so um you know the people i contacted you know one of the first things that we decided to do was to get IRB clinical trial approval to conduct, you know, a human clinical trial to, you know, replicate the the Voss findings. You know, to me, the very first step was we had to be able to prove that this was real. And so, you know, I knew I couldn't, you know, have any credibility if I were to say, well, you know, it worked with me or I did it with some friends in my garage, you know, so, <laughs> so we, uh, we got IRB clinical trial approval, which, you know, is not nothing in the sense that they don't just hand those out. And, um, right. you know, we had to, put together, um, a serious proposal. And so we got approval. Uh, we conducted a clinical trial at, at Henry Ford hospital in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, we were able to successfully, uh, replicate the findings, uh, from nature. And, um, what was, you know, it was, it was a fascinating learning process. Um, we, uh, you know, we did each, each subject, uh, and it was a small study of only 12 people, um, but, but what's interesting about it being only 12 people is that um, it has to be even more statistically significant when you have fewer subjects to, to, to you know, in terms of satisfying statistical right. deviations. And so, um, so it was really interesting is, you know, each, each subject spent three nights in the sleep lab. Uh, one night we ran sort of two different um, stimulation protocols. Um, another night we ran another, you know, sort of a third and fourth stimulation protocol. And another night was what's called sham where the subjects hooked up to everything, but it's not turned on. So they're you know unaware that, you know, that it's in essence the placebo night. And, and of course we mixed up which night was which for each subject. And was it also uh, double blind? So even for the testers, it's, uh, yeah, so, so it was, we, we debated whether to make it double blind or just single blind, um, and in the end, um, it was single blind, not double blind. And, mm-hmm. uh, it, we just decided for that. The reason we decided to make it single blind is just as a, as a practical purpose from, from my perspective, I was less interested. I was more interested in getting the data quicker because I didn't want to wait the extra three months to find out all of the mm-hmm. findings. And so I figured it was just going to be helpful to me to, to learn as we went. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, so we, uh, no, would, was the rest of the study replicated, uh, pretty closely in terms of the same setup or, uh, equipment that they used or, um, you know, did you, did you wake, did you wake them up, uh, shortly after stimulation or give them some more time? Cause that was one of the complaints I've heard about the original study. And also, uh, I'm really curious. And again, just tell me as much as you feel comfortable to on, on how did you, uh, determine uh their state of lucidity like what what did they what do you did you ask the the participants and what was some of the answers so we 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 did when i say 
because because let me let me let me just uh, point out the, the reason the, the reason I really wanted to partially a reason I really wanted to talk to you and why I am now definitely excited because I'm suspicious about everybody uh, there's so many so many devices and people working on stuff and like you said yourself uh, you know some are just like hey this could theoretically work let's cobble, cobble something together and let's just give it a go um, instead of doing a, so more, a more at least even semi-scientific something and so when I find out you uh, you did run a clinical uh, uh, study on this I was I got very excited because the number one complaint I hear from just people just the you know lucid dreaming aficionados about the when I mentioned the Voss study and why the Voss study is is actually potentially great is that oh nobody's replicated it there is no second experiment same or otherwise uh, and and I think it sounds like there's there, there finally is one uh, to, to one degree or another at the very least so that's really really cool. yeah and, and so yeah to answer your questions look we and we you know the, the PhD um, uh, 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 who's the director of the sleep center at Henry Ford he actually spoke to to, to Dr. Ursula Voss and and, and mm. you know about our study findings after we concluded them and she um, she's the one who was the first person to say well you know lo looks like you replicated our our, our findings so awesome. um, so you know, from from that perspective, you know, we were, you know, obviously very excited. And, and one of the things that uh, Dr. Drake at Henry Ford, you know, said to me at the time was, it's basically statistically impossible for there to be an effect that is produced by one set of scientists that is then replicated by a different, you know, in a different study. And for that to be a coincidence, like, you know, it, it, there's clearly an effect that's occurring here um, that's been demonstrated in now two studies. And so, so that was obviously you know very exciting moment for us. And so we made some of what we did was we did intentionally to um, to mimic exactly um, the setup that 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 Voss did, so that we could demonstrate replicatability. And then, but then we also wanted to make some changes to see if we could, you know, in fact, you know, improve upon what was done. And mm -hmm. so we did both. Um, we, we replicated and did precisely what she did. And then we also um, did other things in terms of waking people up at different times and um, trying out different, uh, what are called, you know, a different montage as it's called, or different electrode placements to be able to see if that would have an effect. And, uh, and we were able to notice differences. Uh, part of, it's a little bit of a challenge in comparing uh, what we did to what she did was, so if you ask the question, as you know, probably to the general population, have you ever in your entire life had a dream in which you knew you were dreaming? Um, the, the answer is about 50% of the people say yes. Yeah. Um, and so what Voss did in her study was she selected as participants only from the other 50% who said no. Who said no? Yeah. Right. So she had only sort of lucid, dreamy, naive participants, and for our study, um, we didn't sort of pre-select for either category. So, so as a result, um, we had people who had had lucid dreams before, just like you would expect from the general population. And so, um, you know, part of our results. So, for example, we had a um, higher rate of lucidity in sham than Voss did in her study, but that would be expected, right? Because if you've got people who've had lucid dreams before and they, they put on, you know, they're, they're hooked up with all of these electrodes, um, you, you, you know, some of those people are going to have a lucid dream, even if they're not turned on. Um, yeah. and so, you know, and, and the funny thing from my perspective was, you know, I wasn't, nor were the people involved in the study, particularly troubled by this. In fact, I actually thought of it as almost a positive because, you know, I thought, well, we shouldn't be penalized for the fact that people are having lucid dreams, right? And, um, and, and if anything, even if, even if some of it is a placebo effect, that's okay too. Um, if, if, you know, at the end of the day, what we're most interested in is people having lucid dreams. But even when you factored in the sham uh, night, uh, we still had statistical significance. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm and I'm not I'm not against the theory that um, just like with just like with trying to induce lucidity with intention alone, if uh, if you prime yourself and then add an additional method on top of it, which sort of 
pushes it over the edge. I can see that as a possibility. I don't know that that's how it works, but I've postulated that that's actually possible. Yes. So that would be interesting if that's part of it uh, in some cases. Well, so it's it's funny you say Obviously not in the sham, but but, but otherwise. Well, it's funny you say that. So that was part of our experiment as well. We tried... Uh, we didn't do any priming with respect to setting your intention, but we did do some priming of content. And uh, But I've had the very conversation, the very question that you just raised, I actually had that conversation with uh, Dr. Stephen LaBerge, um, oh. you know, who's, who's you know, I think, you know, the world's most leading expert in lucid dreaming. I, I, I was fortunate enough, I got to spend four days with him um, oh, wow. at his lucid dreaming retreat in Hawaii um, oh, yeah. a, about, a, gosh, I think it was about a month ago. And uh, in fact, I went with Josh Klein, who's also featured in my video. So uh, the, the two of us, he's, he's, you know, MD, PhD from Yale, head of uh, hospital neurology at Brigham and Women's Hospital, which is Harvard's, uh, Harvard Medical School's tre- chief uh, training hospital. And he's on, you know, the uh, faculty of Harvard Medical School. And so the two of us went out there um, and, and spent four days with, uh, with Dr. LaBerge. And, and that, was, that was one of the topics of conversation. And we all three agreed actually with your hypothesis that clearly the most effective means of stimulation is going to be a combination. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, what it comes down to for me, you know, the way I think about this sort of conceptually or philosophically is, you know, there are people who of course work really hard at this. They read books, um, they, they set their intention, they do meditations, they do lots of things. And, and some of those people are successful, but, it's it the the reality is it's just really hard to to consistently have lucid dreams through those sort of practices alone and the analogy the analogy i give for this one is it's sort of like saying how would you like to have the body of a swimsuit model um it's really simple you just have to do two things it's only three words eat healthy and exercise <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, yeah, but those are hard disciplines to maintain, um, which is why right. most people don't do them. And, and it's the same kind of thing, I think, with lucid dreaming, because in, in his book, uh, Dr. LaBerge's book, Exploring the World of Lucid Dreaming, he said something that I talked to him about last month in Hawaii that I just thought was really profound, which was that this guy who could lucid dream at will whenever he wanted to, if he wasn't concentrating and setting his intention he would only have a lucid dream once a month, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, it shows you it's, it's, you know, it's a discipline. And so, um, so this idea of making it easier, um, that's, that's what to me gets me really excited. And so, uh, so yeah, one, one of the other questions you asked, um, in terms of how do we measure lucidity? So because, because we, um, you know, the, because the people I, I was involved with were, you know, scientists um, and sleep scientists, they, they, their view was there was only one scientifically approved way to, to measure lucidity, which was to use the standard that, that Voss used in her nature study. So that's this like 20 question questionnaire, um, which is the like lucidity scale, um, which I guess has been created and accepted in the scientific community. And I don't, I'm not purporting to say that that's the gold standard of lucidity. It's just what, what, what's been used in the scientific community and what seems to be accepted because there's, there's a concern that it's too subjective to just ask people, well, did you have a lucid dream? And so instead they ask, you know, 20 different questions that, um, that are then, then you're, they're sort of measured, um, against, uh, well, you know, they're like, a, there's a statistical analysis in terms of, right. and so, um, so yeah, so we, we, you know, we measured lucidity by that, by the same sort of standard as nature based on this questionnaire. And, um, you know, I would say on the one hand, I was, you know, satisfied and happy with the results, but, but on the other hand, you know, there's, to me, one of the conclusions I had after the nature study was, look, there's, excuse me, after our study, uh, was that there's still work to be done to, to, you know, to me on two different levels, which is one is on the, the, the frequency of the, of the experience, you know, how often it's occurring. And then also on the quality and by quality, what I really mean specifically is control. Um, you know, some people have 
what is you know referred to as insight, um, which is one of the measurements on the questionnaire. Um, that you know they're aware that they're dreaming, but they don't have control over the dream. And 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 don't get me wrong, I think that that can be extraordinarily valuable. For example, to the you know, five to 10% of the population who suffer from chronic nightmares and from the PTSD community, just knowing that it's not real would be extremely helpful um, to, pe- to people who are having nightmares. Um, but I think for people who aren't suffering from a bad experience, just awareness alone is not all that exciting relative to, of course, having control. And so, um, so you know, we've, we've done some things that, you know, I, I would put maybe a little more into the, you know, proprietary, you know, bucket um, sure. that, that we're excited about, that, that we feel have been, you know, positively correlated with control. And so, um, so yeah, you, you know, we're, we're at a point right now, it's actually one of the really, I think, cool things about Kickstarter, which is that you have people who get to this kind of chicken and the egg moment where they say, okay, you know, I've done a bunch of work. Um, now I need to like, you know, get to this place where I can deliver a product, but in order to get to that place, I need capital. I need, I need money to be able to do that. And, you know, how do I, how do I get there? And then, you know, you have this sort of Kickstarter to help bridge that gap, which is, okay, well, we'll pre-purchase your product. You use the money to deliver the product and then it becomes kind of a win-win. And so, uh, so that's why I I turned to, uh, kickstarter at this stage yeah yeah and and i am curious to ask you about um i mean let me just comment uh uh, put a few comments about what you said earlier because uh there's some interesting things about it for me first of all the the lucid scale i think despite trying to actually be more granular and more sort of specific and more more accurate less less subjective i guess I find it a little less useful in trying to determine because I do find that when you speak to people in a sort of short back and forth conversation, you can you can tease out if they actually were lucid or if they're confusing it with something else. Or if you just ask about general details, sure, you can get an indication of whether they were uh, a little more self-conscious, a little less, or a little more... It was were able to exert control over the dream or not, um, but I do think that there is something. I do think that they're just lucidity alone, and it's not it's not binary uh, from my experience. Although there is a point after which the the not being lucid is very clear. Meaning, you know, sometimes it feels like a switch. You you're not aware that it, you're dreaming, and suddenly it's so obvious that it's ridiculous. Although you can tither on the edge, and that happened to me and many other people uh, many times. Absolutely. Um, so, but but it, but it is a sort of a sort of spectrum. But I think there is extreme value for people, especially people who've never had it, but people who had it very briefly, uh, or just in general, a, a lot of value of just crossing that barrier. And it is my theory, even in, in terms of control, because I don't think lucid dreaming is just uh, just about control. And I think that there is value to having very clear and very lucid lucid dreams where you don't exert control over the dream, but we can get into that if you want. But um, uh, I think that it's completely legitimate that the that control over your dream is the uh, the gateway drug of lucid dreaming. It's like what gets you in the door. People want to be able to go flying and live out their fantasies, and I think that's absolutely fine. Um, but I also have the theory that... Um, increasing your your sort of where you fall on the spectrum of lucidity uh on a regular basis will sooner or later increase your ability it's like it's like almost a skill as soon as you become lucid on a regular basis control will follow sooner or later i agree with you yeah and if you found a way to accelerate that all the better i think that that would be really cool and that is something that people are looking for but the barrier to entry right now for most people, you know, a vast majority of people, and like you described yourself, it's very hard practice to do, is just getting through the door. It's just getting, becoming lucid. After which, sure, they'll have some more work to do to be able to control the dream or manifest all sorts of things. And so yeah. On. So look, I, I agree with a lot of what you've just said. And, um, and, and I, I mean, what's interesting about the lucidity scale is there's, there, there's, there's this interesting category called disassociation. And, you know, that's this experience that maybe many of us have had where, 
um, you, you see yourself in the dream sort of almost as a third party. And, and, and what's really interesting about that is, so some people I've heard argue, well, that's not really lucidity, right? Because, you know, you're not, you're not necessarily aware that you're dreaming. You don't have control, but you're watching yourself. And so there, I think that's a legitimate, you know, sort of, um, discussion, right. About whether or not that's lucidity. Sure. And, but what's interesting about it, and I've had those dreams and, um, and we had people in our study, um, have that experience. What's interesting about it is again, if you, I do see value in it because one of the dreams I personally had with disassociation, um, was that I'm watching myself and, and, I was in a difficult situation, like it was a stressful situation, and I found it less stressful that that I felt like sure. it wasn't happening directly to me, even though it was me, because I was sort of watching myself, and I felt a little that disconnect between myself yeah. and the stressful situation. So, but yeah, I so I I think look, there's I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I just want to interject quickly before you move on because I think that the people who might consider that not count towards lucidity, uh, maybe, or, or rather to say, um, people who are familiar with the effects of meditation, for example, long-term meditation, where there is not disassociation, but, uh, but in a way to um, change your state of consciousness in such a way where you are not, as a self, so embedded in everything you see and experience, just in waking life, in regular waking life, and I think that's a similar experience in dreams where it's actually more easy for it to occur, especially if you're running around, uh, your body's running around in, in third person perspective and you realize that you are the watcher from the sky right. or something like that. Uh, and, and that definitely holds value, but it's just an experience that people are not used to in waking life. Uh, and so they think, oh, it's different or weird or it doesn't count towards lucidity because, you know, you know, here's that that character running around, and supposedly that's me, but you know, it just feels very differently. But I do think it does count towards lucidity, and I do think it has value on its own once people start exploring it more. Yeah, so I, I, I I'm I'm sort of in your camp right now uh, in the same way, and so. But so, you know, the funny thing about it is for anyone who's ever spent the night in a sleep lab, which unfortunately I have, um, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like an oxymoron. I mean, you know, you don't really sleep, at least not very well uh, in a sleep yeah. lab. And of course, you're in our in our case, in Voss's study and in ours, you know, you're waking people up basically every 90 minutes um, and, and asking them to fill out a questionnaire. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind <laughs> of so silly. And so... Yeah, and there are... Their head is full of electrodes and wires yeah, coming out. Exactly, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and so you know, there, there's very little about it that's natural. And so, you know, to me, that was one of the big things that I was interested in was, you, you know, not only does this have to be a wireless experience, not only does it have to be a comfortable experience, and of course, it's got to be something that you're doing in the comfort of your own bedroom and not, you know, in some some sleep lab somewhere. But it's really got to be fairly seamless. And so, um, so, so one of the people on my team that I'm so excited about that's in the video, was uh, you know, John Chambroom and, and John was basically the, the head scientist over at Zio and, you know, Oh yeah. Nice. So, so what's cool about Zio for those who don't know is they were the first company really to develop a commercial uh, product. It was a very comfortable headband that did EEG monitoring, and they were able to tell you what stage of sleep you were in and for how long. And it was ahead of its time. It was super ahead of its time, and John was there, you know, throughout the whole experience. And there were those people who had a Zio and just swore by it and loved it and thought it was the greatest thing ever. Um, in fact, Dan Lieberman, who's in the video, was was the, he told me about Zio like you know six years ago and um, just raved about it. And, um, but what happened, one of the things that happened to them was that all of these companies came out, you know, Fitbit and Jawbone, and they basically said, oh, we do sleep monitoring too. And it's 99 bucks and you wear it on your wrist. And what, and it really kind of ended up, you know, destroying Zio. But what's sad about it is, 
um, you know, those wrist-worn devices are really inaccurate. Um, and, they, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and so Zio was super accurate and they had done an amazing amount of work and research to become, you know, extraordinarily accurate, but they're measuring your brain waves. They really did know what stage of sleep you were in and when. And so that was one of the reasons why um, I, I was so excited to, to be working with John because that he understands better than anybody. And, and that was a critical component of what, you know, what we're doing. And so, um, but it gets back to, yeah. yeah so. No, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I've complained about the fact that there are no proper, uh, sleep trackers on the market since Zio went, you know, out of business and everybody else is touting, you know, sleep tracking, from Bedit to Fitbit and all of those, and nobody is touching your head, which is absurd. Um, so it makes perfect sense to me, I think, also why you're incorporating, obviously, EEG, not just for the sake of detecting REM, but also to give sleep tracking, which I think exactly. is, is crucial and important on its own, which allows you to, uh, to add the smart alarm feature, which is awesome. But uh, I did want to go back to, about the Kickstarter and ask you a little bit about the sort of chicken and egg moment because I'm curious, it, it is a, a tough challenge. I, I totally understand that. And I'm curious if and how much did you do any additional testing with, with the prototype that came after the, the study uh, before launching the Kickstarter? I mean, have you done additional sort of tests with, the, with whatever current prototype you have since? So, you know, the, the, the testing that we've done with our prototypes we didn't, we were, I wasn't in a position to afford to do clinical testing with those prototypes. Right. So, right. Um, I'm talking about just regular, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, you'll, you'll laugh, but I, I think for me, the tipping point was, you know, I used it and I had lucid dreams with it. So I kind of felt like, all right, well, that's, you know, that, that, that's, yeah. that's okay for me. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think I give that a pass yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm an N of one and, and so that's not, um, but, but I, you know, from my experience, you know the, the obvious the obvious um skeptic would say well yeah but craig you know this is what you're doing you want to have lucid dreams but you know what's interesting is um i i'm not having lucid dreams on my own you know all the time exactly. It, they're, they're, exactly they're they're a relatively rare event and i've been living and breathing lucid dream you know aladdin for two years and and you know i'm still only having a lucid dream maybe once every I don't know, four to eight weeks. And so, um, so for me to have these experiences personally, and, and there were other members of my team that did as well. And so, um, you know, in fact, one, one member of my team literally had his first lucid dream in like 20 years. And so, wow. um, after wearing the device, so, you know, that it's, it's again, probably, you know, more anecdotal than scientific just cause we didn't do it in a, in a clinical setting. But, but that for me was, was when I realized, okay, you know, and it's time to take this sort of, you know, to the next level. Yeah. And it, and it's, again, this is very interesting and I'm sure you're aware of this, but just in case you're not aware what, one of the competitors, the, the lucid dreamer guys, the, the people from the Netherlands, uh, who raised over a hundred thousand on Kickstarter just canceled their campaign yeah, saw, two yeah, days ago. Yeah, I saw ago. that. So and because and and they're claiming again, uh, props to them for the honesty and integrity of not continuing the campaign if they're not comf confident with their device instead of just taking the money and figuring it out later, saying that their original testing showed promise and and seemed to have worked. But then every test since then has not produced the results that they wanted, and so they want to go back to the drawing board, which, again, I, I thought was uh, admirable. Um, but it, but it's, it's, it's also perhaps to some degree a cautionary tale of like expanding your, your scope of testing um, to, to establish some kind of – because, I, again, people always wonder, well, how well does it work? Does it work for everybody? How many people does it work for? And, you know um, – that's all stuff that will be figure out in time, but but is something that is good to establish as early as possible. Of you know how well does this thing work to the vast majority of people, and it doesn't need to be flawless, I don't think. But um, that's interesting uh, thing to think. Yeah, about. I, I agree, um, and and so I I mean I thought it was I knew I was aware of the of them on Kickstarter, and I was aware that they had been fully funded. Um, I, I thought it was. The timing was interesting that basically we launched and I think within 24 hours of us launching, they canceled. Um, now, you know, yeah. now, maybe it was a coincidence. 
Um, yeah, I, I think their update about the fact that it's not been working well uh, came before you launched your Kickstarter. Okay. So unless they knew about it, I think this is... I yeah, so, no, so, so yeah, it very well could have been a coincidence. So, and, yeah. and this just gets back to... Um, so I agree. I think it is a cautionary tale, but, but I think this gets back to John had made a comment, John Shambroom, uh, one of our neuroscientists, he made a comment that I, 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 it's sort of when people ask me, what's the difference between Aladdin and everybody else? I always kind of come back to this comment, which is, you know, the Voss study that was published in nature, you know, was not a recipe. Um, right. you know, my, my mother-in-law has a line that I always liked. She said, if you can read, you can cook. Um, you know, basically they have these things called, you know, recipes and, recipes, you know, yeah. and you read them and then you follow them and then, you know, you make food and, and Voss was not a recipe. Um, it basically opened the door to, it's a proof of concept. It's a proof of concept. And so, sure. and so what, what I think others have done is they treated it as a recipe so they basically said, oh, well, we're just going to do basically the exact same thing that they did, and we're going to get, you know, these incredible lucid I'm, dream experiences. I'm going, to go, I'm going to go a step further than that and say that some, <laughs> and, and say that some of them seem to have read the recipe wrong as well. Yeah, yeah I think that's true. Story. I think that's true as well. And so for us, we, we said, no, what, what Voss did was it was a proof of concept. They opened the door, and now someone's got to go into the, you know, go through that door, turn the lights on, and, you know, figure it out. And, and so who's going to do that? What's, who's, which is the Cracker Jack team that's going to basically, in a scientifically systematic and methodical way, you know, turn the dials and figure it out? And, and for us, you know, I have, a, a, I have tremendous confidence that we're, the, we're those people. Very cool. I mean, it's uh, again, and I, I told you this over email. I'm. It's it's weird in some in some weird way, and this this you know shouldn't be the case, but I feel sort of protective of the lucid dreaming industry or community or something like that because I do see the potential. Again, for some reason, lucid dreaming in general uh, is fraught with a lot of nonsense that comes along the way because it's such a weird fringe. Yep state of consciousness and a phenomena and it comes with a lot of uh, new age nonsense if uh, um, you know as, as far as I as far as I w would call it um, and again I do think it holds the key to some things that we're not you know not not quite uh, ready to digest in terms of you know insights into uh, consciousness itself perhaps or uh, effect on the body or how uh, how deep can we go directly into subconscious and and you know, make changes and, and overcome nightmares or, or or stuff like that. There's a lot of unknowns, but there's a lot of stuff that you know people just shove into lucid dreaming. And in addition to that, it seems people like to try to capitalize on people who don't care much about lucid dreaming uh, seem to want to capitalize on the industry because it's becoming more popular and now technology is you know taking hold as well. And so I'm weary when I see that like the lucid dreamer guys added a feature for dream telepathy. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm an open, I'm open-minded, but, you know, adding, you know, 400 euros to your, to your device that's already 500 euros is for, for, you know, to, that plays on the fact that people might believe that it's possible to, 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 to do dream telepathy and dream sharing. It just, just doesn't feel right to me. And it just bugs me in a way that's, it's like no other, especially, and, and the same thing when I see inaccuracies, uh, when people talk about lucid dreaming or something, I'm always like looking at people's videos or, or marketing materials to, and, and it's, it becomes very obvious if they even care about lucid dreaming or know about lucid dreaming would just be by the sheer amount of inaccuracies in, in their info or how to try to sell it. So. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's part of why I really went into this because when I looked at the landscape, the competitive landscape, I just I didn't see any real professionals out there um, who yeah. were who were taking this seriously. And you know, I, I hope you know the one thing from my video that people take away is that these are serious people who are committed to the science. I mean, I, I think you know. At least for me, when I watch the video, you know, and, and even if you put me aside, since I'm not a neuroscientist, <laughs> if you take a look at the other three, I don't think you can look at these neuroscientists and MDs and brain surgeons and say, ah, they're just a bunch of scam artists. You know, I mean, 
you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, brain surgeons and, and, and Harvard medical school faculty members, you know, get involved in, in scams, you know, that, that, um, that they're committed people and, uh, and as am I to, to doing this in the right way, in a scientific way. And, you know, we believe in the process of being able to, yeah. to, to stimulate lucid dreams. No. And, 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 and again, I would say to your credit, because, um, I think bringing together people who are really good at what they do and can put together something that really does work and look at it scientifically is not only very important, it's, it's not easy to do. And even though it is easy enough with funding to get someone with a PhD to say something on your behalf, it's a different story than bringing people who, uh, you know, at least as far as I can tell, are really legit people and really legit industries and not just, just someone with a the degree can that can talk on, the, on someone's behalf you seem to have you know brought together people who who as far as i can tell really know what they're doing and that's very interesting to me uh again just the the people from the netherlands who have some experience in terms of neurofeedback and eeg and and uh, and stimulation but but you took it a few step steps further and, and that's very encouraging and doing the clinical trial is very very encouraging and my hope and my my desire as someone who has plenty of, have had plenty of lucid dreams and someone who is still, again, if I don't put a lot of effort into it, my, my lucid dreams disappear in, in an instant. Um, I just, all I want at the end of the day is that the public will have an affordable and practically effortless device that, that can give them access to lucidity. That's that's all I wanted. The end I of have the exact so. same goal, um, and so that's exactly what I want to accomplish. And and look, I, I with your help, you know, and the help of other sort of backers on on Kickstarter, we're going to be able to achieve that goal. And and so, um, I you know I appreciate your support, and obviously to the extent that you're an influencer in the community that you can encourage others, you know, whether it's the, the other backers on the Netherlands thing who now, who obviously were interested in a product and now can't get theirs. I'd love for those people to, to come over and, and anybody else that, um, that, that has this, you know, the desire for these experiences. And, you know, it's, yeah. you know, the, the, the thing that's also really cool is, People who've had the experience want it more, but but even people who've never had it, when I talk to them and I explain what it is, they they'd love to try it. They'd like you know the idea that they could have this experience where, um, you know, even as as it's described, um, people are interested in that, and 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 so yeah, you know, yeah, this is this is definitely one of those things I believe that people. People, most people don't even know yet how much they will want exactly <laughs> once right. they get a glimpse of it. Yeah, no, there's it's, no question. Uh, it's quite remarkable. Um, I'm going to let you go in a moment, and you've been very generous with your time. But just super two quick questions. Sure. One, I was just curious about the app itself and beyond. I know it, it, it uh, has the, the sleep tracking data and a dream journal and a smart alarm uh, and, 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 and tips for lucid dreaming in general, I think. But does it, um, does it, give the user any kind of control over the stimulation or algorithm or patterns or is is that really done mostly on on its own in terms of the the app so look that's a great question and i would say i we haven't finalized there's there's sort of there's sort of three different ways to go about this and we're still sort of settling on which is the right approach so one approach is the user, you know, we, we determine the best algorithm and, and the user doesn't have to sort of make that guesstimation on their own. So that's sort of one approach, simple, easy, uh, and, and presumably effective. The second approach is, okay, there's, there's, you know, you can choose in essence from a menu, right? These are the following, uh, stimulation protocols that, you know, we've found to be effective and, um, that that's potentially a second one. Um, the third one uh, which I think is, you know, very interesting, is an approach in which um, you start off. Well, there's a couple of ways to do it. You can either start off with just um, EEG detection only, without any stimulation, and we can kind mm -hmm. of establish a baseline for, you know, when you're in REM and for how long and what does your sort of EEG look like, um, and then we can start stimulating. You know, maybe for example, like on the third night or something. And, um, but, but also let's say for the sake of argument that, um, someone puts on the device and 
you know, they don't have a lucid dream the first night, they have it on the fifth night. Well, so what's interesting there is we can now compare your EEG activity for that fifth night with the previous four nights and mm. start to make some comparisons. And we could even potentially use it as, an essence, a form of biofeedback to be able to um, customize the stimulation protocol for you specifically based on what was effective um, on that fifth night. And so um, that that's also something that we're looking into. And so, you know... You know, for me, I'm a I'm a former patent attorney, so we, you know we filed patent applications, of course, on all of this stuff. Um, right. But um, but yeah, so that um, that's sort of a, still I would put into this sort of to be determined category. Um, right. But but right. it but it's not because we haven't sort of put a lot of thought into you know into it. It's just not not right. clear to me what's the best approach out of the gate. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. And the last question is about just strictly in terms of. Uh, the electrodes, like, are you, is the setup uh, such that it's, you know, replaceable uh, electrodes where people would have to buy on some regular basis at some cost, basically paying per dream or paying per night? Um, sure. So there's, there's sort of basically two options here. Um, one is, you know, replaceable electrodes. So presumably they'd be reusable for some period of time. But then you'd have to have replacements, you know, call it, you know, weekly or something, you know, de- you know depending yeah. on the, the type. The other possibility um, is we haven't ruled out the possibility of a dry electrode technology. Um, mm-hmm. And John actually, you know, really helped pioneer that at Zio. They used the dry electrode technology. Right. So right. that's something that we have the, the technical sophistication on. And we haven't given up on that as a possibility. Yeah, I mean, it's a little different for reading brain waves and stimulating. Correct. I think. Correct. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's uh, there's a lot there's a lot still to uh, to figure out nuance, but it sounds very very promising overall. And again, um, thank you for for coming on the podcast and talking to me and being so uh, forthcoming with a lot of the the details. Now I'm. Uh, to be honest, very excited about how this campaign goes and how you guys do and look forward to uh, to hearing more. Well, I really appreciate it, Jay. Thanks so much. And I, I, I know I can count on you to help uh, help make it a success. So I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. So I hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, if you want to, I will put the link in the show notes. You can probably uh, view it within your podcasting app. Or if you're listening on YouTube, you'll see it in the description or in the show notes on lucidsage.com slash 28. You'll be able to see the link to Aladdin, as well as the other Kickstarter campaigns that I've mentioned in this uh, episode. You can also go to Kickstarter and search for Aladdin, or go to aladdindreamer.com, and you can find the uh, Kickstarter campaign. So once again, thanks to Craig for uh, joining me on this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it, and if you want to support this podcast, I am now on Patreon, and you can go to patreon.com slash luciddreaming, or go to lucidsage.com slash support, and uh, support this podcast with as little as a dollar per episode, and since I don't do that many episodes, it won't cost you that much, so I'm, 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 pre- I'm a pretty affordable podcast, I must say. Um, So anyone uh, that supports the podcast, I really, really appreciate it. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can always reach me at contact at lucidsage.com or better yet, find me on Twitter at thelucidsage. And once again, uh, next episode is with Jane, and it's a fun interview, so stay tuned for that. Until next time, sweet and lucid dreams.